0: Like it love. They try to do what's right. all here for our silver
1: to Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino. And I'm joined here by my co-host and stars of this show, Mark Wiley and Will George. This is a Day at the Yard Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. We're on episode 173 with our network today. And before we get going and our guys introduce our special guest today, it's a repeat guest we're excited to have back. want to have a little message to our subscribers and our audience and our fans out there. We've eclipsed 17,000 subscribers this morning. I want to thank them. Continue to download, listen, like, subscribe. And we battle the analytics of the podcast world just like baseball does. So make sure you rate and review us. That'll allow us to continue to provide you with great content like we're going to do today with this show. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher, those are our streaming devices. If you have another one, be more than happy to apply to it to make sure we accommodate our audience. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, you can engage our show on that. I answer one question live every day. Today was the Riley Gaines question. I finally pushed myself to answer that one. Um, and everything else gets answered privately, so I get back to everybody. 741 questions this morning, so I got my afternoon cut out for me today, guys. We are now in 72 countries out there, grassroots all the way to Major League Baseball front offices. So we've got the ear of people out there, um, and we appreciate that audience. I'm we take going, it. guys. Uh, we take it very seriously. All we're trying to do is build a better baseball IQ. And as I warned our audience on Facebook Go ahead, today— Mark as you listen to our show, prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truths of baseball, because we're going to hit them. This program is, des- is designed and has no time for the comfortable lies that are out there. So we're going to hit you straight on. With that, Mark and Will, welcome back to your show.
2: Thanks, Dave. Looking yep. forward to it.
1: Yeah. And which one of you guys wants to introduce our guest today?
2: Yeah, well, we got Roy Smith. Um, uh, he's been on our show before. You know, He's a great mind in baseball and has some great suggestions and advice for, for people that want to know what it's like to be in the game for a long time and been through a lot of things. He, he pitched in the big leagues for eight years. He's been a front office, uh, all the way up to, uh, you know, assistant to the GM, I think even GM at one time, um, for, uh, <clears throat> for a, uh, for a short time, uh, replacing somebody, but Roy's been a major league scout, um, He's covered every aspect of baseball, and I think, I think you're going to love some of the things he has to say.
1: Roy, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Good to be on, guys.
1: Yeah. Hey, ahead, you, you guys got into a lively conversation pre-show. I kind of want to tee it up for because three great, great pitching minds right here. Um, can you guys start that up and continue for our audience? I think our grassroots coaches all the way up to the pro level would love to hear about game management. Roy, I'll kind of start with you. What, what are you seeing out there, the problems with game management?
3: Well, no, as I was saying before, um, I think, you know, I I don't know that we're teaching our kids how to manage a game um, in terms of, you know, it's so isolated on the pitch and and getting a miss with the pitch, which is is great. I mean, the the more, the, the better the quality of the pitch is the best. But, you know, at some point, you know, I was always taught if you don't know what to throw, turn around and look at the scoreboard. That'll tell you. That'll tell you what to throw. All right. And at some point, especially the lead, you want to be in the zone. You want you want to throw a pitch that's in the zone. Um, I always I always say that pitching to contact I think is a little bit of a misnomer. What you want to do is pitch to the glove. And if you pitch to the glove and execute your pitch, theoretically the contact w- will w- won't be good. But in any case, you, you have you do have seven guys playing behind you, and. in those those situations where you have room for error, that, you know, forcing the issue and and, and being in the zone with something you can throw a strike with is much better than walking the guy. Not only does it add to your pitch count, it puts you in a defensive mode. Anybody that's ever been on the mound, you know, when you get hit, you feel like you have a fighting chance. When you're walking people and everybody's been there, you feel helpless and it puts you in a, in a defensive mode as a pitcher. You feel like you have to throw a strike with the first pitch to the next hitter. It's, it's a domino effect. And, you know, also we, we don't have pitchers going deeper into games now. And I know the pitch counts are, are a lot tighter than they were when Will and, and, and uh, Mark and I pitched, but um, you know, trying for the miss all the time only adds to the pitch count. And, you know, even if you get misses to me, that isn't as important as the as the pitcher being on the mound for a longer time competing, and and getting used to his body and getting used to different conditions. If, if you are the longer you're on the mound, the lo- the better you are able to think for yourself, and adjust to things around you, as opposed to, you know, the the, the, the walls caving in when when things go awry.
1: You got two great pieces of advice uh, that I wrote down for actually my my two boys. One's a pitcher, one's a catcher. I think our audience would love to hear it. It was the uh, I think Doc gave you the one one advice: twenty seven pitches versus twenty seven Ks, and the other one was about when you walk on the mound and the base is empty. To expound upon those two two well, mindsets.
3: Well, the the biggest influence on my pitching career was Doc Edwards, who managed me in Triple A when I was uh, when I was twenty one years old, and then later on, my last year, he managed me when I was thirty one. But um, you know, he he was the one that gave me the basics in terms of managing games, and. He what he wanted me to do since I wasn't a hard thrower and I was pretty much a borderline guy at, at the big league level was to be aggressive, and he, you know he he would say to me, "Roy, the perfect game isn't twenty seven strikeouts. The perfect game is twenty seven pitches." So he was constantly um, uh, preaching efficiency to me. Um, the other thing was um, I, a, a, a person that I played with that I had a lot of respect for. I had to put a pitching uh, presentation together, and. I I wanted to get some ideas on what to throw out there to guys that hadn't pitched before. And I asked him, I said, you know, when you went to the mound, regardless of the conditions, regardless of the, the, the stadium or the, or the opposition, what was the first, the foremost thing on your mind? He said, I did not want to walk anybody with the bases empty. I wanted them to pitch their, uh, to hit their way on. I felt like if I did that, I would put myself in aggressive mode. Now you get guys on bases. You're going to be a little more careful depending on the game situations, but I
1: wanted them to hit their way on. Well, I love that, Mark, and well, go ahead. I, I asked yeah, myself I,
2: questions. I, you know, I also I worked with Doc Edwards. I was his pitching coach in the big leagues, and he was one of my most favorite managers to work with because he was one of the best managers with pitching. He understood it. Him and I were on the same page on everything. When we bring a catch, when we bring a pitcher or a catcher in to talk to him, you know, we didn't have to set it up before they came in because we were on the same page. And, you know, a lot of the game management do- now has been short-circuited because it's called from the bench, and often it's by called by people that really don't know how to call a game as far as I'm concerned. Um, the catchers are not taught enough of how to call a game, and, and that's why I've always – I always focused on the catchers and the pitchers. The catchers were always in the pitchers' meetings, and I would tell them, I said, now this – perfect example. I'm saying, Hey, we've got a five run lead, like Roy said. And uh, you know, I'm, I get to three, two. Um, I'm not trying to strike the guy out. I'm just trying to make him put the ball in play because a free pass is a free pass and you can't do anything about it. If he has to hit himself on, you know, you got people behind you that can catch it. And I used to say, now I'm telling both you and the, the catcher and the pitcher, both the same thing, because I know that during the course of a game, one of you guys is going to have a have a, a brain malfunction and you're not going to be thinking of that situation. And that's why you both need to know it. So the catcher can stand up and go, no, 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 I know what you're thinking. Hey, let's throw a strike. Let's get this guy out. Or the pitcher shakes off and goes, no, what's he calling a breaking ball for? He says, I got to I got to make this guy fight to get on. So if they're both on the same page, great. If you're not, at least if you know the right thing to do, you do it. And, and this is the problem in today's world. They've been told all, since they were little kids, everything to do. So they had no reason why they were doing anything. They were never taught anything about, you know, game management. You know, I used to tell my, I remember I had Paul Shuey. He was a really good setup man, tremendous stuff. And I'll never forget, he was pitching again. We were playing Boston, I think. And we had a three-run lead. And I used to tell the bullpen guys, I said, you come in the game. We got a three-run lead, and you go ball one, ball two. I said your next pitches are challenge. I said you challenge in a big part of the plate, down in the zone. Hopefully, go with your fastball because you know what—if they hit a home run, that doesn't start a rally. You walk a guy; they all go, "Oh shit, he might be getting he might be getting wild now." We can take advantage of us, and then the wheels come off. Home runs sometimes kill the atmosphere for a team that's trying to come back. So I remember Paul goes out there and he gets, I think he had a couple outs. He gets two and O on the next guy. I think Greenberg yeah. or somebody in he you know, like so one he of the other
4: in this game, yeah, it's next, a chess the next battery game. So the offensive side, he
2: says, is "That is that what is you're talking about?" Is preparing for you as a pitcher? Said, yeah, exactly. And if you're a guy you who didn't walking, behind. He's always still trying to make the lead. strikeout. Now we're pitch, going to go to Jose Mason White. Then it out.
4: you're going to throw a ton of pitches, right. and you're well, not going to get very deep into a game. But how many times do you hear with guys that have good command? You got to swing early against this guy. You don't want to get behind. He has an out pitch when you're behind. So now. It plays into you staying in the game longer. Just make some common sense of, of as a pitcher. When you challenge, guys swing. When you don't challenge, the game becomes slow and boring. You're three and one on every hitter, and you're putting yourself in danger of always having traffic and making bad pitches. You know.
2: Well, you know, you know, uh, in, in our discussion before we went on air, Roy, you talked about watching, watching a game, and uh, y- y- you, the guys were throwing breaking pitches with three, two with leads late in the game, and you, you're like, uh, what's he doing? And then you had somebody say to comment that, uh, well, he need to do, it. he'll need to do that in the big leagues. Well, that's not true. That's no. not true. Even no, you don't. By the time you get to the big leagues, you may have two pitches you have just as good a command with, so you may throw a different pitch. But when you're an A ball like you were at that time watching a game, that's just ridiculous.
3: Right. Well, I mean, the other thing was the kid on the mound had a over 60% ground ball rate. So when, when he's in the zone, good things happen, you know. Um, and, again, it's, 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 it's saving the pitches. I, I would much rather have had that kid on the mound for another inning Than getting then the possibility, the smaller possibility that he gets a swing and a miss on that pitch and, and gets the strikeout, you know, because repetition is what the whole thing, the whole thing is now getting back to your point before uh, Mark about, you know, knowing what to do, the thing, the thing that doc did with me, that was, that was so good. And I, and I feel like today, because of the technology and because of the information that, um, that, that, Coaching staffs and, and, and front offices want to control everything because this is what this is what the analytics say. And, and you can't argue with it. I'm not arguing with the numbers at all. However, when Doc would, used to talk to me about the things we're talking about now, he would talk to me the day after I pitched. I'd be I'd be walking into the clubhouse. I'd be walking by his office. I can remember numerous times. Say, hey Smitty, come here. I, I just want to talk to you about something. And then he'd pull out the, the pitching chart and he'd pick something out. He goes, all right, what were we thinking here? Here was the situation, and he'd, ha- he'd have the pitch circled already, you know? And he goes, what were we thinking here? He goes, in this situation – well, I tell him what I was thinking. He goes, okay, all right, you're thinking. But here's the situation. Here's the hitter, okay? Wouldn- wouldn't it be better off if we – you know, whatever. No- normally it was a – why don't we go down on the way there, force the issue like like you were saying before, make him do something the other way, okay? So let's stay aggressive. Let's not put ourselves into a – you know, a, a a a situation where they know what's coming, which leads to probably the most important thing that he ever said to me and turned my career around. Um, my sec, I, I got sent down the big league camp. There's ten days left in spring training. At that point, everybody's going through the motions, just trying to get get spring over and be healthy and get the season started. And you're pretty much bummed out about not making the team and all that stuff. So I'm I'm pitching a um you know AAA AAA game somewhere, and I come back after my first inning I pitched. And I'm sitting, you know, it's the backfield, so there's not really a dugout. It's like you know the high school field type thing. And Doc sits next to me. Goes, "Hey, Smitty." Goes, "Let's try something this year." I said, "What?" He said, "Let's pretend two balls is three balls." I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, well, "Let's be aggressive and have the mindset they have on a three-two count with two balls." He goes, "Think of it this way." He goes, "With on a on a two-two count or two-ball count, there's a question in their minds what's coming. On three-two, they pretty much know what's coming. Let's try to do that." Let's be more aggressive and, and, and get our pitch count down. Guys, I, you can look at the back of my baseball card. I cut my walks in half, and I was in the big leagues in June. That's I mean, that, that that was – and, and it, what, it, what it did was put me in an aggressive mindset. You know, years later, I was talking to Tom Kelly, and I was like, you know, in retrospect, maybe I should have pitched backwards more. But that was what got me there, you know. And I just, I just did not feel like I was good enough to walk people, which obviously I wasn't.
2: You know, I I, you know, I was coached for Cal Ripken, G, senior, and he used to have a, say, a saying about pitching ahead and pitching behind. He says, when you pitch ahead, you make them hit the ball, which you're making them hit your pitch. He says, when you pitch behind, you let them hit the ball. Right. Letting them hit the ball is they pretty much know what you're going to throw. Uh, so you take the mystery out of it, and you're just hoping they hit it at somebody, you know. Right. He says that's why that's the big advantage of pitching ahead all the time, is that you're always making them hit your pitch. You always have them confused. They can never really zero in on what you do. Now, with analytics, guys that do throw the same pitches when they're ahead, they know that. That's that's the advantage and disadvantage to a pitcher that always has a pattern of what he does when he's ahead. But if you Change your pattern up when you're ahead, and you have multiple pitches that you can throw in situations when you're ahead. They got no chance to have good solid contact. Very rarely. Well, the other thing is if you,
3: and again, I, I I understand, you know, where some when you have guys throw or concentrate. Now it's the breaking ball on one thing. It's a limiting. It has a limiting effect. It only it only lasts so long. So what we're doing is 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 almost creating a generation of middle relievers where where you know they there's no variance in what they throw the other thing is mentally you now i know there's there's exceptions to that the sparky Lyles of the world that that threw all sliders but i know how i would be which is wow i just threw a good slider now here comes another one i have to make the next one better you know and the, the the more you try to make it better the less you're in the zone because you because you're looking to get the miss, you're thinking to yourself, no, no, I just threw that one that just caught the edge of the uh, edge of the zone. He's not going to bite at that this time. I have to make it better, and it and it has a cumulative effect where, where you're not in the zone and your and your pitch count go, starts piling up. You know, um, and and I again, I don't know that right. we're teaching these no, kids exactly. like, hey, look, the hitter has a mind you know, the, also.
4: The the, the you're journey not to, to the a certain computer. pitch that. The reason is uh, that things there, aren't static, because you made some other pitches still in time that the hitter is now
3: pitch. seen it's not always the spin, senior throwing the point. same pitch every pitch that gets him in that. that that's never factored in you know everything's in a vacuum I, I, I was sitting in the stands with somebody um, from from an, an office guy and the guy, the hitter co- took, it's called third strike, okay? Now, oh. we as pitchers know the difference between the hitter being fooled and the hitter thinking, you know, that, it, that he took it because of location. So the kid says, wow, he really hit the corner there. He thought it was a ball. I said, no, he didn't. Yeah. He was looking for the breaking ball. And he yeah. goes, how, how do you know that? I said, a, because I'm pitching along with the guy and I, I'm saying, boy, he could freeze him with the fastball down the way here. So, I, I instinctively, I, I could feel feel it. But I also am looking at the, the hitter's mannerisms. You know, you, you guys, again, it's hard to explain, but you guys know when a guy's frozen, you know. And you guys you guys know when it's like, oh, man, come on, that ball is down, you know. This, this yeah. guy guy's frozen, you know. Yeah. Um, and again, it's, 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 you cannot like, again, that was the other thing I was going to say about doc when he was encouraging me to throw my, my slow curveball, And, you know, it was, it was, it was a little hard, it was hard for me to get confidence in it and, and know the situations. I said, doc, why don't you call a couple for me? He goes, no, you have to feel it. You have to feel it. If I call it for you, you won't feel it. And if you don't feel it, you're not going to, until you can feel it, you're not going to be able to adjust and slow the game down in tough situations. So look, there's going to be some failures here. He goes, but, but he goes, we're going to get there again. That, I don't know if that's the attitude. The, I I would want with all the technology today, I would want all of that, especially my release point, you know, my, my, sometimes I would try to get on top of my curveball too much where I was getting away from my natural, uh, release point, you know, um, uh, you know, again, Getting on top is probably the wrong term. It's getting out front. If you're out front, you're going to be on top, you know. Um, but I would have, I would love to have the video then where I would kind of get like, all right, I got on, get on top of this, and all of a sudden you're almost releasing the ball over your head. Um, to a hey, no, 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 get back to that fast, the natural fastball release point. I, I would have wanted all of that, but that that technology could not tell me what to throw and when to throw it. It it, it would give me a guide. I would, I would. That would help me, but in terms of being on that mound and feeling the way I felt, um, I, you got me rambling here. But that's the other thing I tell guys that have never been on that mound: you never ever feel the same way, game to game, never. The mound always feels different. The wind feels different. The temperature feels different. You, you, you know, the, the, some days you, you're 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 sweating a lot. Some days you're not. The ball feels different. It's it's a constant. You know, you're constantly adjusting, and you assume at some point that that's the way you're going to feel. Again, these guys assume that everything's in a vacuum and all the variables are the same. They never are.
2: Well, you know, it's funny what you said about you know guys getting frozen on pitches. You know, I've watched some of the games uh, with Tampa Bay and Pittsburgh. They just started playing this series, and uh, some of these other and watching the games. And you know what? Even the broadcasters perpetuate like that was a phenomenal pitch. or That was a great pitch. Like he blacked him out or whatever. And I'm sitting there going, no, he was sitting on a breaking ball. He threw a fastball right down the middle of the plate and he took it. No, right. Yeah. You no, know, it's like, it's like, no. what are you doing? Are you. Making an excuse for the hitter, you know, because I think, uh, he was sitting on a pitch and he took one right down the middle. You know, that I think, that, I think the, they'll perpetuate the, right the same thing, and has I'm sure the guy goes back to the dugout and says, guy, that was a pitch because he doesn't want to let everybody because know because of all the analytic data." Well, you know,
4: and that's why the hitters are probably the the hitters, well, hitters, hitters tend, you know, absolutely, fastballs, two strikes, taking right the better off you are as a pitcher. Then we know that hitters. We, we faced that saw the ball and reacted, hit off of the fastball, whatever, especially with two strikes, they would have not taken a fastball right down the middle. But we see that so much now. It's, it's absolutely amazing because the hitters are very guessy. You know, veteran good hitters, you know, they, they, they would make educated guesses, go up and sit on a location or a pitch, and they would get it. But now, my gosh, you know, I think because of the it's, analytics, it's, if you a have different. a little bit of creativity as a pitcher, that you can play you can play with analytic data to the max with these guys.
0: No.
2: Oh god.
3: But, but are we yeah. allowing the right. league level? Are we allowing you know the kid that walks in the room? Let let's take Greg Maddox. All right, Mark, if he walked in the room at 18 years old when he came out of high school, and you gave him a game plan and 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 not looked at him and said, wait a minute, this guy's this guy's different than the other little boys. He's he's wow. got a feel. Let let's, let let's cultivate this feel. But 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 if we then started to program him. And and said, no, this is the way you throw. This is this is your strength. This is the way you have to throw. Um, would would he become Greg Maddox yeah. or even further?
4: You know, Who I in mean, the world would have
3: Maddux, a two-seamer at the left-handed hitter's hip, oh. so it so it breaks yeah. in the inside oh. corner? If you had said that to me, first of all, I couldn't get a two-seamer to move that much. But but if I did, I would say, are you nuts? That ball is going to get wrapped around the uh, foul pole. Are you kidding me? I'm not doing that, cool. but, you know, but, that but that's, that, that, that's, that's creativity, you, you're, yeah. you're, it, he, he had to be the one that came up with that himself, you know, you, you, you're something creativity, when you're, when you're feeding all this, you know, if some guys need it, you know, some guys, some guys thrive on it, but other guys, are we allowing that kid with feel to, 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 to grow,
2: you well, know? You know thing is is you've got to be as a coach you've got to be able to see how he could expand and teach him how to learn those things you know I had a guy join me i'd never had him before he came to the ball club in spring training he made our club and he had a his best pitch was a cutter he was a right hander had a good cutter and uh he was a reliever and you know when he got the cutter to the to the outside third of the plate, it was pretty good. Um and but still he'd run into predictability when people knew he would do that. So we were talking in spring training. I said, have you ever tried a front door cutter on a right hander? And he goes, No. Why would I do that? And I said, Believe me, you can make some mistakes even in there because you start it and you throw hard enough. So they can't pick up your cutter, and you start it just off the plate and take it to the plate. You're going to see emergency hacks. You're going to get free strikes. You're going to lock people up. He started doing it, and it was like the best year he ever had. He said, Mark, I can't believe I never did that before. You know, but you you have to have people that are trained to see what a guy's strengths are and how he can expand them. You know, obviously, Maddox, either somebody taught him that, or he figured it out that I have a really good late sinker, maybe I'll just move it over to the other side of the plate. Oh man, well, that let
3: works. Let, you know, yeah, let me see if happens. But fun. but you know what Mark, by doing that, are we are we have a generation of people and I think it's you know starts at to the top. No. Are you are you willing to give up control? No, you know, it Roy, comes down to a control thing also not when you when know, of 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 you know, this is how you're supposed to pitch. You know, are, are we allowing those guys to, 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 you know, experiment and fail on the mound? Or are we having them... Pro- well,
0: that's,
2: why, that's why you don't hire cookie-cutter coaches. You hire people that you think. I know, but, that, but, that, but it starts at the top, Mark.
3: You know, it, it, oh, it, this, this is our philosophy, and this is what it says. Yeah. And
2: this is what our analytics say. Therefore, it is. Yeah, you know, well, it, it, you, you somebody, know the... In, in, if you no. take somebody that's got 40 years' of experience as a pitching coach, I think it can trump analytics on those kind of subjects. Well, the I, truth I, is I, that the buyer would agree, level, but I don't
3: know that that's you know, I mean, to me, it's, it's a form of, of throw socialism. every, pit. you,
0: know, where well, you, they, they you and that script people, is created, won't, won't you know, by the analytic people from the,
4: the farm directors and They'll whatever, hire that's go along and with how many pitches they're going to throw and what pitch to throw in what situation. But the funny thing is the other side has prepared for the same script. That's why when you actually throw a fastball down the middle, the guys take somebody went off the script, that pitch. And, 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 and that's not, that's not thinking baseball, thinking baseball is reacting in the moment, making an adjustment, seeing somebody dive in and, go, wow, I can get in on him now. We're not going to pitch him away even though that was the plan because he's moved up on the plate yes. or whatever or he's got a good curveball. You know, we had uh, we had Sal Butera on, Roy, and we had a really good session. You know, he talked about as a catcher back in the day how many guys used to move up, move back, move up in the front of the box with somebody that had right. a good curveball like you did you know, trying to catch it before it broke. Uh, You know, you don't see hitters do that now. They dig their hole and they swing out of their ass every pitch. That's about it.
3: You know, I was—I was having a—I uh, was actually had somebody um, with our organization talk to. We, I was talking to Frank Viola, and I was asking, you know, Frank was our AAA pitching coach, and I—I I knew how Frank pitched because I had to keep his chart, and, and you know, my, I, I was asking him questions. I was setting them up. I was—I was putting it on a tee for him because I wanted to see the person, the person that I was with to hear him, and I said, Frank, like there were times when you had it really going where you would triple up on your changeup. Now each one wasn't the same. I said, was that pre programmed? Had did you go into the game saying, hey, look, this guy, this guy doesn't stay back. Um, you know, I, I can do this. And he goes, No, no, no. Everything everything was based on what I saw with the reaction of the previous pitch. And I said, he goes, I said, Well, how much feedback were you getting from the catcher? The only feedback I would get is um, and I think he used Tim Laudner because Laudner had caught him all the way through the minor leagues and into the big leagues was Wads would, would let me know if the guy was moving up on the box with me. We had a little signal. But other than that, I was just reading reading the bat, reading the reaction, and, you know, all right, hey, if he's gonna bite at that one, let's see him bite at this one and move it out or or turn it over just a you know a little bit more to see how yeah, far he could go with it. Great point. You know, but again, what my point was this was not pre programmed. You know, Johnny Sain taught taught Frank that's that change up and, you know, they they went over situations, and and Frank was a master at reading the speed of the bat or controlling the speed of the bat.
2: You know, you you made a, will made made a comment about guest hitters now, and and I think even back when I played, a majority of the guys were, other than guys that knew what their game was, you know, line drive opposite field hitters, move the runner kind of guys, which there aren't very few of those guys that know who they are now. But even the guest hitters, even the big boys that were guest hitters, they could turn the field and adjust with two strikes. And that's what you see now you don't see. They're the same hitter from the first pitch to the last. That's why, for me, guys that command the ball and change speeds should just Eat up today's hitters. People say, "Oh, Randy Jones couldn't pitch in today's game." Randy yeah. Jones would kill these guys now. Palmer. He would be throwing How the fastest Palmer games too. ever. By the way, too. Well, let's let's take let's
3: take um, Burt Blylevin or or Don Sutton, right? Going up guys, up. with today with the launch angle swing today. Could those guys have gone north and south with the curveballs that they threw? Right, like 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 with ease today. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, same way. You know, over the, over the top, big overhand curveball, and then that you know that high fastball that nobody could lay off. Nobody could lay off with a with, a, with a more level swing. What are they going to do with it with an uppercut swing?
2: Wait a minute, Roy. The high fastball—that's a brand new thing. That never existed back. Homer <laughs> pitch. No, I mean, no, never. guys act like they invented something new. We may have not known it was uh, what the spin rate was and the axis. But we knew what a good one looked like. And Jim Palmer had a good one. He could go up top. Like me, on my, I was a two-seam uh, breaking ball and a two-seam guy. It was hard for me to go up top because I had to make sure I straightened that thing out. But, you know, right. it was always it, there was always within your abilities to do something. They act like they came up with something new with analytics. All they did was explain why Jim Palmer used to get punch outs. Same thing with Bob Gibson. Look, Don. Don, um, ah,
3: my my old pitching coach with Cleveland. Um, ah, been, Mark, you know him, um, all time reliever. Anyway, he used to catch us uh, in the bullpen with a, with an oversized outfielder's glove, and he would sit on, kind of sit cross legged, and when when the catch before the catcher would come down to, to catch, and it it was good because you knew you had to throw like half speed because you didn't want to bounce the ball. Um, and Don McMahon, I'm sorry. And, you know, he, when the catcher came down, but you, you probably threw for the first five minutes with Don just, you know, sitting there on his behind. And so this is 1984, my rookie year. So after my side sessions up, you know, we're, we're walking past each other. He goes, you know, Smitty, he goes, you're not the hardest thrower, but your ball spins more. It, it stays on the same plane like that. Now, he couldn't quantify it, but it's the same theory. It was there. It's, the only thing he couldn't give me was was my spin rate. He described the pitch. He he understood oh, no, it. He understood I, that the it, spin and a loose wrist you know it creates was the ball to stay on the same plane know, long. I had about so ten this reports isn't, on Chris all, all, Young. All the, we're doing the is quantifying Texas GM what we already
4: and, knew. And, you know, we all watched him yeah. big leagues at eighty six, eighty seven. I'm not I'm not Because he had high spin rate at the top of the zone. He can drop a break ball. He had a good change up. He had a little cutter and slider. And he threw strikes. But, you know, somebody in our office called and they said, oh, my gosh, we read all your reports on Chris Young. And he, I think his last couple of years, spin rate started to come in or whatever. And they go, you know, you, you could actually see spin rate. That's why you always liked him. <laughs> you know, and I was like, yeah, well, I mean, you know, watch the game. The hitters tell you a lot of things. You know, uh, Sid Fernandez that I played against, you know, you remember him? You know, you know, he threw out of his armpit. He had a plus curveball, ball, high spin fastball and a plus changeup. But he only threw eighty-eight, eighty-three 83 to 85 on the old Ray gun. But he got people yeah, out in the yeah. big leagues for a long time.
3: I kept a gun on him in Maine when uh, Tidewater came to playoffs, and this is when guys didn't strike out. But he didn't top; he didn't get to ninety miles an hour, and he punched out ten against us in six in seven innings, which doesn't sound as impressive now because everybody strikes out. But you know, the other thing was he was a drop and driver, and and you know that foot would land and the arm would stay behind, which you know again you you know back in our day people looked at Seaver as the drop and driver, which not many people could pull off. You have to have lightning arm speed to be able to still get out front and do that. You know, and, and in Sid's case, I don't know how he did it, but that arm would stay behind his body a long time. And he still got out front through that big slow curveball. So the fastball, which you couldn't see again, long I'm sure, I'm sure on the uh, track man, his extension and everything was probably in the elite category um, was on you before you had a chance to react easily. The most deceiving pitcher I've probably seen.
2: He had real, for me, I always saw his strength in the back of his shoulder was extraordinary. And that allowed him to do that. Guys that throw almost throw uphill with arm drag. You're right. They either have a, a lightning quick or you have to have massive strength in the back of your shoulder to be able to, yeah, do I guess, it. I guess Siever would fall into that category, right? Well, Seaver was his was lightning quick, but if you looked at him, he had a short arm arc. You know, yeah. like if you got a short arm arc, you can, you can, you can kind of run out there. You know, I used to see guys that you know when their arms started to drag when they were normally kind of short armers, and the ball would start to run up and you know up arm side. Uh, I would often tell them, you know, consciously throw a couple pitches with a shorter route. You know, yeah. take it a little short. They would lock right back in to their normal. They just got to happen to get it along long. But, you know, everybody's different. We want to get to where you have leverage to where it allows you to have longevity. You know, leverage gives you longevity because you're throwing a lot of pitches in a good position at foot strike. You're, you know, your hands behind the ball. You know, that's what I always wanted to do. That's what I always strive to have my pitchers do. And with now it's a little tougher at the big leagues because some guys get there with some funky stuff going on, yeah. you know, and you can't, you know, they're successful in the big leagues. You can't change them. Guys that are way across their body, like Dontrell Willis, people like that. You know, if you had them when they were an A ball, you might've changed it. But you know, when you're winning 20 games in the big leagues, you know, hang with them. But I, I, it, I remember
3: something Pete Vukovic said to me in the stands. We were both together right. the first time we saw Dontrell Willis. Maybe we, we, it was when I was at the Pirates in the office and, He pitched against this, but one thing Vuk said that that's even you know is more resonates even more today is he he watched them and I said boy that's a complicated delivery he goes but Smitty somebody was smart enough not to mess with this kid he's a great athlete everything's natural he goes I'm looking at freedom here we had nobody some we didn't put this kid in the box his flaws maybe we perceive them as flaws but it works for him and now now it becomes a weapon. You know, well, that's and he goes, that's he goes somebody, somebody was smart enough to leave this kid alone. And it's fun to watch him pitch. They, I remember
2: They asked not- me about him when I went to the Marlins. The first day he threw on the side for me, guys go, Mark, God, look how far across his body is. And I said, I said, let me ask you this. Have you ever seen guys throw that far across their body and still be able to throw a straight fastball in on a right-handed hitter at high velocity? Like, like a four-seamer with his arm way out there, cross body because his body worked right. You know, right. he could tie it up. Yep. And I'm, I Big. said, why would I ever touch that when I see a guy can throw a quality pitch in on a right-hander from that angle? Nobody can hit that.
3: And, you you know, he had the attributes to be able to, you know, on a bad delivery to what what we would think is a bad delivery. It works for him, so it's a good delivery. But he, he was a great athlete, right? He was he, he was a smart kid. He was a smart kid, athletically smart. You know, all of those things came together where it it worked for
4: him. And well, you, you know, know, if he got you out of guys, whack, you know, talk he, about he could, changing because guys, of all those things that I mentioned. Recently he can self correct. All of that has to come into to to, to be if, if you're going to control like that. A and it did. And and happens, happens, all of those things that we perceive as flaws now become a strength for him. had the flowing. Dominican sling delivery. The ball jumped out of his hand. It had ride at the top of the zone. Heavy bore, you know, hard sweeping slider. Didn't throw strikes, you know. You probably could fix them, you know, by firming up balance and direction. But uh, they chose to go with the uh, the academy uh, travel ball delivery. One, two, three, four, balance. <laughs> balance. He now throws high three quarters instead of like that three quarter whip arm action that he had. He's got a straight fastball. It's 94, 95 and a big sweeping breaking ball. He still can't throw for strikes. And he's got about a 70 RA and a ball. And I'm just going, why? Why not have patience to, to really try to fix what he does naturally, which was he threw with ease and the ball came out of his hand really well. Get him up balanced, get him direction, uh, you know, get him to throw strikes with his fastball, and then it all plays from there. So it's just amazing when you watch it. And I was talking to a pitching guy, Mark and Roy. And Mark, remember, we used to do hand speed drills. We were just talking about, you know, guys who, who need to get, get out of the glove quicker and I was trying to explain it to a younger guy, and they were looking at me like I was speaking French to them. They didn't. Oh, I never heard of hand speed drills. Well, you know, your takeaway is a big part of getting leverage and getting out front. You know, you know, the more yeah. time you waste behind you, the 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 worse off you are. So.
2: Yeah. You know, that's why you. That's why you. Your but. your self awareness of timing is so important. You got to know where your handbrake is when you're separating it, and what the timing and rhythm is to it. And that's a lot of a lot of the stuff you're saying is taken away from that when you cookie cutter stuff and you do it step by step. Roy, change subject a little bit. You know we have a lot of listeners, the guys that actually in today's world, we're having a lot of guys coming out of college that want to get into the front office of baseball. And sometimes they get in as interns and things like that. But, you know, we've also got high school guys that think it would be a great profession to go into when they, they're done with school. Um, you've had a lot of great front office positions. Um, what advice do you have for young guys that, that want to do the, the step-by-step trek to the big leagues is a is even becoming a general manager possibly
3: well i mean the first thing i would say to them is do whatever you whatever it takes to get your foot in the door um you know when i when i go to the winter meetings sometimes i take a i take a lap through the um the um job fair that they have there and you it's unbelievable how how many kids are at at that job fair looking for jobs and I feel bad for him because you know we were all in the game, and they were lucky enough to stay in the game. Our foot in the door was his players. These guys, these kids are coming out of college, pretty much all equal um, in a way, and the the competition for those jobs is unbelievable. So, and and a, a few times I'll ask kids what their background was and stuff, just kind of out of curiosity. But a, get your foot in the door, and b, be ready to be work working twenty four seven. And I'm not exaggerating when i say that because once once you're in just like as a player where your your draft status doesn't doesn't count now now numbers count um uh be be prepared to do anything and everything we, we're, we've all been at minor league games and, and all of these kids have that are, that are working for minor league front offices have their degrees and everything like that well some of those kids that are coming out in July and helping roll that tarp when it rains they they're ivy league graduates you know, they're, they're, the, they're the guys that may be in the office at some point and they're, you know, it's all hands on deck. If you get into a major league office, I, I, I had a standard, um, speech to, to some of the kids in entry-level positions. Don't think tomorrow that you're going to be sitting across, across from, Don, from, uh, John Sherholtz discussing trades. You're not. What you may be getting is a call from me the night before saying, Hey, I got a seven o'clock flight out of LAX. I need a ride. And that's what you're going to be doing. So, so, so set your sights on that. Two, depending on what kind of background you're coming from, but actually any background, watch the games. Don't spend the, it's everybody loves sit, uh, sitting in the box with the GM and everything like that and looking like a big shot and twice a game the uh, cameras on you. Go down, sit in the scout section, ask questions and watch the games. If you can truly combine, um, uh, instinct or, or or scouting acumen with analytics, you're going to be real good. But but you know everybody talks about it. We combine it. Eh, you know what? If 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 you're if you're taught if you stay in that office and you're staying in your cubicle all the time, you're going to lean toward analytics. And there's too much gray area, way too much. I, I I you know I don't know many people that come from outside the baseball background. You know like like you know I, I haven't played and and. You know, most of the GMs haven't played even back in our day. That's not what I'm saying. But they, you know, the Dave Dombrowski's of the world, they're very scout-centric. They learn the game. Um, and, and you know, the person that can truly combine it and balance it is going to have the, the leg up. But if you stay in that cubicle, your your prism is going to be strictly analytics. And and to me, if that's, the, if that's the only way you look at the game, I'm going to beat you.
2: Yeah, I think I think those are really good comments. You know, I, you know, you tell, you know, people don't know where people came from that hold high positions in baseball. Even in football, I know there's some head football coaches that they were exactly what you said. They were drivers. They were drivers for the coaches and became NFL head coaches. That's where they started. You take what you can. You get around these people. You show them that you're dependable. Um, I can tell you what. When I was with the Indians as the pitching coach, here are my first 3 charters that I had. Josh Burns, Ben Charrington and Paul DePodesta. All major league general managers. They were my charter. Some I'm not sure some of them came in as interns at first before they were hired full time. But they showed their value and they listened when you'd you go over, you know, what they found on the chart. And I would push them, you know, like, hey, look for some unique stuff that we might not see and give me a little report on it. I'll tell you whether it's if it's good or not. And that way they learn. And, uh, you know, so so these kids that think it's way out there to get a job, you have to understand some of the top people in baseball, you know, they paid their dues and took a long time for them to get there. But they started at, at the lowest position.
1: Yeah. Okay. Right. What kind of takeaways? I know you worked with Paul DePodesta a little bit. What were some takeaways you uh, grabbed from him in your time with with him?
3: Um, brilliant guy. Uh, had a, an analytical mind that I that I don't know that I've come across before or since. Um, very personable. You know the the um, he he Paul shy, and and I think that worked against him uh, as a GM because. Um, you know, there, you have to sell it too, you know, um, and Paul, you know, Paul was coming off the, the money ball and everything like that. And that kind of that kind of worked against him because of the preconceived notions. Um, I, I, I I consider Paul a real good friend. He was great to me. Great family man. One on one just uh, is a very warm person. Um, doesn't surprise me that that he, he went to football. He's got that type of mind that that can adjust. Uh, you don't want to be on the other side of a card table with him. Um, I've seen him play cards at at, at Vero Beach, and uh, that's not the guy you want on the other side. Um, so, uh, again, um, I wish I wish a lot of people knew him the way I know him. But um, uh, if you're making a presentation to ownership on on anything financial, you want that guy right by your side. If not, making the presentation. Um, but, uh, hard, you know, hard worker, good guy, uh, good heart, um, you know, uh, whatever, whatever he does is, it, it, it's not going to surprise me or hasn't surprised me.
1: And I noticed he, he kind of stayed in the background during the Moneyball era. I think on purpose because of what you mentioned. Yeah. He, well, he didn't,
3: he want, uh, he didn't, he didn't, didn't want, he didn't want, that's why they used a, a fictional name for, yeah. um.
2: He, would, he yeah. wouldn't let him use his name.
1: Right. Yeah,
2: Yeah, yeah. Paul played – he played baseball and football at Harvard.
1: I didn't know that. I didn't know
2: um, – He was a wide receiver, I think. Yeah. And and, and he was a center fielder, I think, in baseball.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, I guess – I was going to ask Roy how cold it was going to be tonight. Mark and Will, we've had Roy for almost an hour now. Any uh, additional questions or last questions you want to hit him with for parting shots?
2: Um, I'm sure I could think of a lot, but
1: yeah. Well, think- you wanted to talk about some of the rules, didn't you?
2: Oh yeah.
0: No, oh, it's good.
3: I keep waiting for it to warm up, but it's not. Well, you know, real quick, I think anybody, I would have told you going into this year, anybody that does what what um, Will and I have done, and Mark has been at the minor leagues, would have told you that the, the the pitch clock. Well, I don't want to talk to for Will, but I thought it was needed. I thought it was going to work. Um, you know the guys the guys that have been big leaguers for a while that aren't used to it it's going to be an adjustment but i think it's the best thing for the game um you know quickly just generally i'd like to see him roll, roll back maybe a couple of things since the pitch clock is working so well maybe maybe uh, the rule on the three batter rule you could take that away i think um but i i, I do think the, the bigger bases you know is it is it yeah. because of right. that? I, and the pitch know, pitch I'll, I'll thing? expand on that. I, I, I think, think part of the reason why there's more stolen uh, bases also when, is – Back and, and, when we coached uh, and played, the stolen base was a big a part of the game. We have a generation of catchers
4: and, guys and like, that haven't uh, you been know, Ricky to, Henderson, to how to hold runners because Vince of the philosophy and coming from front offices. Otis Nixon and guys like that that stole a lot of bases. You had to identify a lead and look over there. I see guys that just do the exercise of looking over – and they are not identifying the tell that this guy is running on this pitch. And then the rule of them limiting how, how many times you throw over ties your hands, that if you truly do know how to hold a runner, that, that, that I think it's it's advantage runner. And then, like you said, Roy, and we talked about earlier, the catchers haven't had a throw for the last eight or nine years because nobody ever steals. So it's it's like oh my gosh he's stealing how many times you know last night you know the 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 one catcher who can catch and throw a little bit you know he got taken by surprise that somebody stole base and couldn't get it out of his glove and I've seen that a whole whole bunch even at the big league level this year
0: yeah. Well, I, you know, you mentioned those names from back when we pitched, and again,
3: I understand if you have a bunch of power hitters. Um, well, Earl Weaver didn't like the stolen base, right? But he, but that team was built to hit three-run homers. I get it, I understand it. However, you know, if if I know what it's like <laughs> to to know that my next start is against Oakland, and this is me, I'm not Burt Bolleve and I'm not Frank Viola. All right, and I don't I don't think about facing Ricky Henderson leading off the game, the day I pitch. I'm thinking about him three days before, and that's all I'm thinking, is I'm going to walk him. He's not going to be on second against me. He's going to be on third before I get an out. And how that affects your pitching, you know, if I'm facing a left-hander with with the speed, um, like let's say Henderson on first, is that going to to take away me throwing my curveball with that hole over there at first base? It did in the minor leagues until Doc said to me, Roy, if you're not going to throw that curveball and don't bother going out there, you know, because there was one yeah, game where no, i faced I, a bunch of lefties you know mark, I got, mark I, you know i never mark, got into your that first rhythm year managing and i had, had guy i like, right, I'll, I'll my
4: curveball How next to that I, I can't into throw now because and first you got willie mcgee Otis you know? Nixon, and, and teddy and wilborn what what is never taken Walsall, into account 90 is plus psycho- bases the, on a the team the psychological effect it also had i guess Steve Balboni and tabler and and buck show was on that team and some power and Mattingly, and you're going, my gosh, you know, you not only have to hold runners, you got to make pitches, you know, but pitchers had not had to do that for so long. I see guys that they look over the, the runners leaning, he's antsy,
2: and down you know, maddening throw over, and down I, you,
4: you know, and, and then the other thing that's maddening is this new hip hop thing where they're hopping and, and, you know, as soon as he hops, throw, Throw over. yeah. <laughs> You're not seeing that when you look over?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, you know, what we did, and I think I mentioned another podcast when I was a pitching coach at Kansas City and Tony Muser was the manager, you know, we didn't throw over. We held the ball. We just held the ball, held the ball, held the ball. And these guys wouldn't go. The runners, they would go, well, when are you going to go? And no, I'll go back. And we control, we had the best, you know, record against stolen bases anybody. And Tony told me that in spring training. He says, you watch us, Mark. Nobody runs on us when we hold the ball like that. Well, you still have to have the fear of throwing over. So right. now, if you hold the ball and throw over, you got one more time to throw over or you're done. So now it doesn't matter if you hold the ball. You can't throw over. Can you imagine holding the ball and not being able to throw over? Yeah.
3: So I can, you know, I mean, for uh, me, the, the two most you know, important things. back for me to is 87,
4: the, the going
3: clock. into 88, and, and when they said I would rather, pitchers, I would rather, pitchers the had to stop and everybody in baseball,
4: I think we all think thought, oh, geez. Is, uh, now I'll they're going to steal even more bases. But we
3: stopped. You know, cause I would ask you the question, can to we roll bring into just rules?
4: holding the ball, you know, and yeah. and and That's you know the right. the theory that when you held the ball, you could see a guy relax and go from a toes to his heels, or his or his butt would sit down a little bit, and you would go, okay, he can't run now, and if he runs, he's not going to get a good a good jump, you know. But those are all reads that we had to figure out by holding.
3: Well, let me let me let me put it to you this way. I, I get called up in August of '88, and um, I go three and zero, and actually started the last game of the season and won. And my my exit interview with Tom Kelly lasted—I don't think it lasted a minute. The, the the following day when we're cleaning out
4: a lot. Earl, Earl Weaver goes, "Okay, Roy. first time I went goes, to big league camp, you're going to get every chance to be the starting roster next year. guy. I wasn't going to make the team when I was better. young, but don't they even invited, invited me to play in Florida. And he i 'I'm, I'm he goes, waiting for the next thing. If you goes, don't throw goes, strikes, you, hold runners, and field go, your position. You'll never pitch for me. Go to work.' And he walked away. That was it. So those were all part of the game, you know, you know, field."
0: Right. Right. You remember the too, didn't you?
3: Well, I, I spent I spent the whole winter in front of a mirror. How, how many how much how often do we do that anymore? I've been separating yeah. my hand.
0: Yeah.
1: I love it. That's a it. We yeah. can rock. Yeah, we're closing in an hour, Roy. You were very generous with your time today. We appreciate it. I know you're busy scouting out there, and Will and Mark, same with you. And any uh, – Roy, what, what do, you, do you want to leave our audience never, with anything? Roy, you never Best Especially that we didn't forget me. to ask you.
4: It's just uh, that I'm not no, as no, smart just, as
0: um,
3: you, and I need to take more no, notes. No, this is always good stimulating drink. and, and – uh, Maybe I'll be able to leave Will alone tonight, so he can just scout. Scotty so I'm not, Mo, we're not talking. Yeah, dude, well, because, one of
4: our good friends. Whenever said, I'm with Will, I want we end right. up
3: having these discussions, and I really don't bother. Really Will. Cherish him. I
4: got to write. <laughs> oh, no. well,
0: John, Johnny Morris is, is going to regret those words. Believe me.
1: How about you, Mark, anything, any last parting shots you want to leave the audience with or get from Roy?
2: No, I think we we hear it all the time about, you know, hard work and and doing the little things. And and, you know, if you want to reach your goal, you know, you start small and build and show people, you know, what abilities you have. And it's in there's too much of today's world where they want to be on top right out of school.
1: No, I think that's great. And, um, you know, it's obvious to see why, why Roy you've been successful as a, not just a player, but as an executive and a scout, I think our audience, I know I did. I, I like you guys were joking here. I, I spent the entire show writing myself. So I know I got smarter today. with Mark and Will, I always appreciate your guys' efforts on this show. You bring great relationships and help fulfill the mission of building better baseball IQs out there. And, Episode 173 here at Day at the art, Common Sense Pitching. We just want to thank our subscribers again, over 17,000 subscribers to date, represented in 72 countries, grassroots all the way to Major League Baseball front offices. So we're, we're touching the ears that need to hear us. Continue to download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review, because we're battling those analytic minds in the podcast world, just like you guys are in the baseball world. So make sure you do that rate and review. It helps us continue to provide you great content like we're doing with this show, like we did with Roy today. Second time on the show, and I I, I love the first time. I think the second one was even better. Uh, Just just continue to get us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are a way to communicate directly with the show. And I'll make sure I get back to one person live every day. And everybody else will get a private message answering their question. Uh, We appreciate the engagement. appreciate the support. And as we mentioned earlier in the show, this is a show that you know we're we're trying to embrace the uncomfortable truths of baseball. And we don't have any time for the comfortable lies. So Mark and Will, thanks for holding up to that. And Roy, thanks again for being a great guest today.
0: Thank you. Really enjoyed it.
1: Doing what you love has a high price to pay. Some put on a suit, but he ran the
0: other way. His drums drowned out the yuppies and
4: the ones who couldn't dream. Cause the freedom music gave him was worth more than anything. They don't
0: know what they...